0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey, it's Jason here. An unusual announcement before today's show. My entire family has COVID. Yes, you might be able to hear it in my voice. So we're doing good. You know, despite the vaccinations and the boosters and the whole nine, we still got it. Anyway, everybody's on the up and up. But needless to say, it's been a little tough to find time to record this week. So I wanted to bring back one of my faves from the archives. And this is an important episode that I'm so glad I got to record in person with a co-author of a book. That uh, really made an impact on me. It's actually sitting up on my shelf now. And the reason why is it's a reminder that the world is in much better shape than we give it credit for. And the arguments around this aren't theoretical. They're purely factual, fact-based arguments around uh, why the world is on the right trajectory. We're going in the right direction. And Even though this was recorded pre-pandemic, this is still relevant because it's based on facts and what you'll hear in this interview, I'm sure, whatever's going on in your life, it's just a great reminder that things aren't always as they seem or as they're portrayed to be in the media we consume and social media and, and all of that. And this is important for travelers to remember because we are global citizens, right? We want to have an awareness of the facts And I tell you what, with the pandemic and everything going on, it can be quite a struggle. I know it's been a struggle for a lot of people, at times at least. And I think this episode is important right now to just remind us of what actually is. I needed to hear it again, and that's why I chose this to share with you today. So please enjoy one from the archives, and I'll see you next week. Cheers. What is the number one fear of most travelers, dare I say all travelers, and how can we rein that fear in? I'm going to talk about that in this very show. Plus, I had the honor and the privilege of interviewing a co-author of a book that has changed my life and I really believe is a required reading for everybody in this day and age, particularly Travelers. For reasons you'll hear in this conversation, you don't want to miss it, so stick around. And I've got a shout-out to one of you lovely souls in the Zero to Travel community, another travel junkie just like you from the caravan. we got all that and much more happening now. Yeah, right now. Let's do it. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out lending me your ears, letting me bring a little travel into them. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. We've got an action-packed show today. I don't know if action-packed is the right word. I mean, we're listening to a podcast here. We're not throwing karate kicks and chops and flying through the... I used to love those kung fu movies, by the way, when they would somehow defy gravity and fly through the air. Like 40 feet with her leg extended. And I don't know why this is coming up. But anyway, this has nothing to do with today's show. Today's show is about changing your perspective, changing your worldview, changing your life. And this is something I always strive to do because that is what happens naturally when you start interacting with anybody, travelers, people that you have conversations with on the street. Locals in other countries you travel to, your best buddy that you're sitting down having a beer with, when you open up your mind and you truly listen, you get to hear new perspectives and different ways of thinking, and I'm endlessly fascinated and curious by the ways in which people see the world, the ways that they view the world, but my guest today offers something even more powerful, a lens through which we can see the world, and it's a fact based lens. She's the co-author of the book Factfulness, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. You have to listen to this conversation and you have to read this book. Well, you don't have to. I can't come through the podcast here and force you to read it. But in this day and age with so much media, so many negative stories swirling out there, whether it's social media or the 24-7 news cycle, all that stuff that you know because you're a part of this world, we really need to understand the facts and the truth of what the world is. And if you listen to some of the endorsements from this book, Bill Gates says, One of the most important books I've ever read, An Indispensable Guide to Thinking Clearly About the World. Former U.S. President Barack Obama, I'll read a snippet of his, he says... This is a hopeful book about the potential for human progress when we work off facts rather than our inherent biases. And in this book, they highlight the 10 instincts that distort our perspectives of the world that can make us see the world in a way that is not based on the facts of how the world really is. This was so eye-opening on so many levels to me. And it ties in with the question I posed at the top of the show, and then we're going to get to the conversation, the interview, which I got to do in person, which was incredible, and such an honor to be able to talk to Anna, one of the co-authors of this book. Okay, one last thing before we get into this conversation, I do want to talk about this question I posed at the top of the show about travelers' biggest fears, perhaps all travelers, and that is the fear of the unknown, the fear of the things that might happen on our trip, and even seasoned travelers, I think, can have this compulsion to worry, to get a little nervous when they're going to a country they haven't been before. Of course, it's all unknown. You're not sure what's gonna happen. It's all unexpected. And that is normal. So people that do travel the world end up just acting in spite of that fear. But this is another reason why I think this book is so important because it's giving you a fact-based look at how the world really is and how it's misrepresented and how we can misrepresent it. And if you ever get down from all of the negative stories that are going out, whether it's social media or the media or whatever. If that kind of bums you out, well, get ready to be uplifted and feel good because globally, health-wise, things are improving and there are so many things to be excited about and so many good things happening. And that's what this book did for me. It really felt empowering to understand through facts that, hey, Things are going really well, and things are on the up and up here, and it's not all doom and gloom. So please sit back and enjoy listening in on my conversation with Anna. Unfortunately, at the time we talked, I had only been able to skim through the entire book. I hadn't been able to read the whole thing because I got the interview at the last minute. I actually sent in a request, and she happened to be coming through town, I think, the next week. So I wasn't able to finish the whole book, but I have since finished it and read the whole thing and, again, highly recommend it. So... Please enjoy listening in on our chat. I'll see you on the other side. My guest today is the co-founder of GapMinder.org. Their mission is to fight ignorance by providing a fact-based worldview for free. She's also the co-author of a New York Times best-selling book alongside her husband, Ula, and late father-in-law, Hans. The book is currently changing my life for the better. And I'm so excited to talk to her because of that. It's called Factfulness: Ten Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. Anna Rosling Lund. welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> you are the
1: first one I've met who actually uh, pronounced my name in a Swedish yes. way, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, wonderful.
0: I speak some Norwegian uh, yes. and. Uh, Everybody from Norway tells me that if you speak Norwegian, then you can understand Swedish and speak Swedish and vice versa. But that's not true for me.
1: That's not true for me either. (laughs) Really? Okay, good. That makes me feel
0: better. You were telling me a story, because I know you're headed to the airport, and you lost your wallet on the way here. Yes. That's not fun.
1: (laughs) No, it's not fun, but I... um I mean that's life. And yeah. I actually had my passport in another place. Right. And I have my boarding pass on my phone, which is fine. Right. I still have that one. And what the funny thing is that for the first time ever before travelling out, I thought Maybe it's stupid to have all the cards in the same spot. What if I put one of my my Visa cards in a like a ridiculous spot in another bag? Right, just which to is make a great sure. travel tip, by yes, the way. Yes, <laughs> I never done that before, and I felt a bit you know ridiculous when I did it. Like, oh right, I'm, I'm, so being mar- yeah, par- I'm so paranoid. I'm so paranoid. But then this is the first time I actually lost my wallet with all the other cards, which actually now made it possible for me to pay for the taxi when I arrived. Yesterday, I was looking for the wallet, could not find it. And then suddenly I realized, wait, I put an extra card somewhere and I could find it. So now I'm pretty fine. Anyways, <laughs> I wanted to bring
0: that up for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it is a great travel tip, you yeah. know, to kind of stash something yeah. on the side. And I love your relative calm about this, because mm-hmm. if I lose my wallet in the house, mm-hmm. I'm running around losing my mind, pulling my hair out. I'm like, where's my wallet? Where's my wallet? But you're kind of like, oh, get to the airport, I'll find it. Um,
1: or I, I don't think I will find well, it. Well, i have already
0: I hope you'll relaxed. find
1: it. It will be boring to get a new <laughs> driver's license and, you know, all that. But, but I will survive.
0: Well, yeah. you could think when you're pulling a card out, and like you said, oh, maybe I'm being paranoid or... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a word you could use is being overly dramatic, yes, right? Yes. And something you talk about in the book and in your work is what you refer to as the over-dramatic worldview. Yes. Can, can you explain what that is?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we're talking about is basically that people have a tendency to think that the world is much worse than it actually is. And we think that is because our brains have a hard time actually remembering or even taking into account normal things that happens. Because if you're going to see the trends over time for the world, you have to go to data, which is seldom news because it's slow changes. So very few people have seen that. Instead, we watch the news and we see these dramatic things happening all over. And our brains have a hard time actually remembering that the news are the extraordinary events, the rare things we get to see. But our brains are just, you know, filled with all these super exciting or super scary things Things which makes our thinking overly dramatic. So when we are thinking about the world, we tend to be overly dramatic about it and Mm. overly negative.
0: I think it's so easy now because of the bubbles we all get put in. Like basically, they're algorithm bubbles in social media and media in general. But you know, in the book, you guys are quick to point out that hey, let's not lay all the blame on media because that's one component of this of this thing can you talk about why you think we are so negative as a species
1: i I mean i think it's it's a very basic thing a long time ago when we were basically hunting and gathering things i think that was a necessary thing for us that if we saw something that felt I mean if we got a feeling that something was negative Mm -hmm. I think we needed to react instantly because it might have been the matter of life and death if you hear something in the the bushes it might be something dangerous run you know yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, the problem is that, that those kinds of instincts, we use the same kinds of instincts, but the world around us has changed. So now we're overwhelmed by information in all different shapes. And we're highly, very many of us, I mean highly as a species, highly educated. And we're very smart and analytical. But we, we see so many different stuff coming over us there are dramatic and we tend to react on them the same way which is not meaningful (laughs) today most of the time sometimes it is but most of the time it's not and i think it's important to say though that the uh, what we're trying to point out in the book is that uh, there are many of the slow trends for the the world that people tend to not that they have missed yeah so they tend to focus on the things that are really bad today it's very important to us to, uh, to remember that we are not saying that the world is perfect and yeah. that everything is good, because it's not. It's a lot of problems that we have to solve. But when we think that everything is problematic in the same way, there is a risk right. that we will have a hard time actually focusing on the right stuff.
0: I mean, just to illustrate this point, and if you watch, and I'll link to some of the TED Talks yeah. from Hans and, and yeah. your TED Talk. Yeah. I mean, he at one point is standing in front of, you know, the UN and all of these... Yeah. Organizations that are responsible for world health and yeah. you know, th- who should know the most yes. about statistics yes. and the way the world's going and everything like that, and still, as he points out, the the chimps yeah. <laughs> uh, if, at the zoo—if you went and threw three bananas into a cage with three monkeys, they would each, you know, guess thirty-three percent of these answers correct you know, these people were getting this data wrong. They still had this worldview that was incorrect and didn't match up with the data. And this might sound a little bit, if you're listening and you're like, well, I don't, I don't really understand what you mean. Maybe you can share some specific statistics and sort of the, the stereotypical thought around where the world's going and then what the actual facts are.
1: Um, yeah. So I, I think I would like to start then by saying that uh, in the book, we start by asking 13 fact questions that we have asked to to the general public in 14 countries. I did the quiz last
0: night. Yeah. Ah, how did it go? Not very well. I got... Uh, seven. I think I got more than half wrong. I got seven uh, but, wrong, I believe.
1: But I would say that very few get that good results. So I think you should still be
0: okay. <laughs> does that mean happy. I'm a possible list?
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yes. So actually, what we do then is that we we have thirteen fact questions in the beginning of the book, and and those were the ones we were asking to the general public. But you, as a reader, you can do them before actually getting started reading. Yeah. And uh, the reason we ask these questions questions is because it's it's very basic questions about the world, the general trends. But they're big questions. But they're big questions. So no one has probably thought about them that way. So we're not assuming that people know these things. Right. But we're interested in, if you are uh, if you see a question like this, what do you think, right? Right. And what we see there is that people have a tendency, when they are uh, confronted with uh, answering alternatives, where they can see, if, if, if they can see like positive or negative answering results, yeah. they tend to go for the bad ones. So basically, Going we use... Going back to the negativity yes, instincts. So yeah. Basically, we use our overdramatic thinking when we're trying to solve which answer alternative to pick. So we have a few questions. Uh, maybe I should uh, read one of the questions. So, let's take one question here. In the last 20 years, the proportion of the world population living in extreme poverty has A, almost doubled, B, remained more or less the same, C, almost halved. That is the question. And you can see there is a big difference between A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Doubled, same, or halved? So it's no, I mean... It, right. Yeah, when you're guess- when you're answering it, you're really deciding the big trend, not, not something minor in in the small increments <laughs> of a percent or something. Right. And the interesting thing, let's go, and now I'm going to go and look at the results here, but because we have them in the back of the book, just to make sure that I'm not saying something stupid, but it's very interesting that people get very, very bad results on these questions. So if we look at this, for instance... Looking at the results from the U.S. general public, we had only 5% <laughs> getting the correct answer. And the correct answer is that the extreme poverty has almost halved over these 20 years. And I mean, that is amazing. That means
0: 95% yes, of people...
1: 95 got this question think wrong. Think it's
0: the same or worse. Yes.
1: And this is, I mean, think about it. It's pretty interesting because that will actually color how we read the news when we see the news with all these bad things and we think that the world's poverty the extreme poverty in the world is actually uh, doubling I mean, that's a very, very weird worldview we it's get. It's
0: determining culture as yes, well, right? Yes. If people are walking around thinking yes, this yes. is the way the world is. Yes.
1: And I think this is interesting. Uh, when only 5% of the U.S. population that we were asked this question got it right, I think the interesting thing here is that that includes both political sides. Because it's very common that we are, uh, you know, one side... Talks badly about the other side being uninformed and stupid and ridiculous in different ways, but this includes almost all voters of the U.S., right? Yeah. If you think about it that way, yeah. Of course, we did not ask every single American. It's just like a a subset, of course. Right. But but, but it's I it's mean, representative. It's of representative, of the population. yes. Yeah. So it should be somewhat around these numbers, and we've actually tested uh, these questions. Uh, in in many different audiences when we are lecturing to, and we get the same kind of result most of the time, actually, in most of the audiences. So I think it's it's in this range, at least. Why is that? (laughs) That's a very big question. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's my (laughs) job. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) No, but I, I, I think we very seldom see data of long-term slow trends. Yeah. We see sudden instant things happening, often being bad things. Right. And we have a hard time compensating for all these uh, bad events that we see. And we, I, think, I think also I have to say that uh, as a species we did not have access to loads and loads of data until pretty recently. So I also think yeah. that we we do not really have a habit yet of consuming data and it's also very new that the data is available for free in many cases online yeah it hasn't been it's it's a very new thing so I think we have to it will be a, a process where we learn how to deal with that information and how to how to read it and interpret it and understand what data to go for uh, in, a, in a way that is meaningful. So I think we do have a lack of the, the basic knowledge. We lack the facts. Right. We, were, we were never taught the facts. Now we can get them ourselves if we want to, but we are not aware of how or where. And if we have tried five or 10 years back, it was a cumbersome and horrible experience trying to find data online. Yeah. Now it starts to become much better. But I think we are you not there helped yet. You guys talked with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully. But I think we're not there yet. So we, I think we need, to, uh, we need to make sure that we create a literacy in reading data and, and uh, handling the content in
0: the media. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway And enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Let's get back to the show. So so for
1: us, it's very important not blaming the news, even though we talk a lot about the news. Yeah, Because I think the news should actually report everything that is the uh, unexpected and extraordinary events. I mean, that is the job. And that is what I as a reader want to have. But I think we, as consumers, need to be better at actually remembering the context. It's not that hard, but we don't have the habits. And we need to continue to uh, push the the media uh, in the direction of actually providing a context when they are uh, presenting their news. So very often, let's say it has been an earthquake somewhere or a terrorist attack or something, Uh, Very often we get to hear about that, but it's too seldom we actually get a context saying something like, there was a terror attack, let's say that the news was there was a terror attack in Turkey. Then I want to know about the terror attack in the moment, of course. But I also want to know, are terror attacks uh, becoming more common than they used to be Hmm. in the world as a a whole? And in Turkey in special? What what is happening with the you know with the number of deaths when you have a terror attack? Have they changed tactics right. since the beginning? I mean, if we had these kinds of almost standard context right. uh, fragments that they could always bring in, which would be relevant to all uh, terrorist attacks, so as soon as something happened, if they could sort of drag in this like more. Baseline information about terrorist attacks in general. Right. I think that context would make a big difference. So and, I think, and that
0: example would be, you know, coming in and saying, "Oh, but this year terror attacks are down thirty percent." Or yes, over the last or, ten or, years. Yes,
1: look at look at the trends uh, the last hundred years, and you can see you have increase of terror attacks, but that is in other areas of the world. It's actually decreasing here, even though this attack. Was right. a big one. Putting I mean, the context. Putting the it, context. Yeah. So I would say it's it's all about that, and I think media has a responsibility of actually getting there. But to be to be uh, realistic, it has to be done in a way that doesn't cost them time or money. Because if it right. does, they will never do it. So I think I'm not I'm I'm actually not negative against the news. And I'm not negative about consuming news. And I don't think that the news should be positive news. Right. I just think we have to create this habit of getting a context to put the news in. Hmm. And to do that, we need facts and we need frameworks and we need uh, improved thinking habits so that we can compensate every time we see the news content and sort of put the, frame the news in a way that is more uh, reasonable.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like there's the two sides of it that you just mentioned. I really like your idea of uh, maybe standardizing something. You know, you have the FCC in America and they're responsible for the content that goes out on on the radio. So they say, well, you can't curse. You can't say these words. You can't do these things. And that's just to keep it a certain way. Yeah. But we don't have that in the media. We have uh, media and social media platforms that are based on on profit. Yeah. And data doesn't really give people the endorphin kick that no. they get. Very seldom from- it does. <laughs> <laughs> right. On the consuming side, mm-hmm. there is not much education around how to think about the things you're consuming.
1: No. And I, I, I think that is what we need to do. And I think, I think it's going to be a slow process. So I'm not, th- I'm not saying that this is something. Even though we wrote a book trying to give some tips and
0: tricks to yeah. get started, it's more than that, though. Yeah,
1: but it's... but you know, uh, I, I'm not. I'm actually not thinking that now everything will change. I think it will be if we're going to make a big difference, which I think is necessary. Yeah. I think we have. I, I think it's going to take time because we have to get into the curriculums all over the world and find ways to actually change how we're teaching social science to to the kids mm-hmm. because they are the ones who are going to go out and actually make the decisions later. And it's more important to teach them, I would say. To, <laughs> I mean, we need to put the focus on making sure that they get uh, good habits.
0: And you're at an education, we're at an education yes. conference here. That's yes. exactly what you're doing. Yes. And when you look at the trends in the book, this book is really changing my life. It's really helping oh. me. And and uh, like you're kind of like, oh, tips and tricks. But I mean, just we got the book here. <laughs> uh, right on the front, you see um, Bill Gates saying one of the most important books I've ever read, An Indispensable Guide to Thinking Clearly About the World. Hmm. Is there anything more important than how we think about the world right now? Like we said, that creates... <laughs> Uh, to me, this is a very important topic because mm. there's so much behind this. Uh, from a travel perspective, this is a travel podcast. I mean, just one example. You know, a lot of people will not go out and see the world or go no. to certain places because of the things they see in the media and they yes. think the world's a big, scary place. And then you even have one section in the book that says, you know, the fear versus mm. the reality yeah. of the world. What the book is doing is is reframing a lot of the ways you think about the work Uh, the world based on actual data that you can refer to. So you guys are doing your part when you look at these long graphs over 70 years and Mm -hmm. things are declining. Well, there's all these things that contribute to these declines and people, this is a collective thing we're doing here. I wanted to ask you about labels because early in the book, one of the things you talk about, and when I say you, I mean collectively, because I know the three of you wrote this together. The idea of the developing world versus the developed world and redefining that to be levels how important are labels and and the terminology that we use to describe the world
1: i would say like this if we don't have systems for easy labeling i think we have a hard time actually talking to each other and to actually understand the world so we do need frameworks right for communication yes and and to under yes not only to communicate but also to understand in our own brains what is going on the thing is we have to figure out labels that are more meaningful they have to be as meaningful as possible but still so easy so everyone can understand them right and of course that makes it (laughs) give you a limitation and Very often people in academia, they get very upset that we are making things so much simplified because they say it's much more to it, right? You cannot. (laughs) We mentioned in a sentence that soap has been very good for humans. And I got an email from someone saying, but there's so much to say about soap, why do you only say this? I'm like, yeah. I mean, you need I a agree. Book about soap. <laughs> yes, I agree. There is a lot to say about soap, right. but I think the important thing is to to figure out what is the minimum we need to say to, to get everyone on board, because we need to have a, a shared uh, framework, shared labels to actually communicate. And yeah. the problem with with labels is often that we we invent them in a, in a time like developed and developing. Those labels were really good in the beginning yeah. because they were describing the world as it looked. So they were pretty okay because mm-hmm. it was a world with two groups of country countries, basically. But the problem is when we continue to use those words and the world has changed... It will be problematic because the words are very the labels are very strong in actually shaping how we see the world. So we have to make sure that we have labels that represent what the world is like, right. decently, because now. otherwise we, yeah, now. <laughs> yes, exactly because otherwise we will get stuck. Yeah. So the labels uh, or the, the four levels we are talking about is basically dividing the world into four levels four, four different groups rather than two. I mean, it's yeah. it's still very rough, but I think if we do it more detailed, it will become too detailed and it will be hard to remember. Right. And then we lose uh, people anyways. So we need to have some labeling, but we have to make sure that we have labeling that is somewhat reasonable.
0: The levels you created are based on this this graph and facts and data so it's not just something you're not just saying let's just reinvent
1: i would say it's pretty close to the four groups that the world bank is using but we have uh, refined them a bit made them even simpler because we think it's easier to remember four levels than their how they are naming them and we have also changed a little bit the thresholds between the different groups to make it more obvious Mm. and so forth so we, we have modified it a bit
0: how do you take such a massive amount of data and distill it down to something meaningful? And I'm asking this because maybe some insight into your process of what you all have done to, first of all, let's just talk about figuring out what 13 questions to ask and how to structure these graphs and then how to visually represent it and all these things that go into your work to give us a real picture of the world as it yeah. is today. That's not a small thing. This is, these are big ideas, big thinking, yes. um, with an objective to essentially obliterate ignorance. Yeah. What, what a big idea. And you're <laughs> tackling it in, in a way that's, it's such a monumental task to take this amount of data and, and turn it into what you have to make a true representation of what the world is. And I'm just wondering what your process is for that, because this might yeah. help people when they're consuming or when they're taking in massive amounts of data, as we all are every day. Yeah. How do we, how do we like, put that into our brains and put it in the right places? Yes.
1: So, um, shortly, I could say it's a painful and slow <laughs> process, isn't it always? <laughs> so that, that that I would say uh, as a starting point. Yeah. And I think the reason we have been doing this is because we have a passion for actually making... I mean, it's a true passion trying to figure out how we can get the basics... Of the world understood by many, yeah. I think that is the that, that, that is the driver. Yeah, and a frustration has grown that it feel have, has felt when we've been doing this. I mean, visualizing data in different ways, we have had the growing frustration that it feels like people are totally uh, wrong in how they perceive the world. And then we started testing because we were curious to find to find. Whether we were right or wrong,
0: yeah.
1: do people get the world correctly? It's just us being, <laughs> you know, frustrated for no reason. <laughs> right. Uh, but when we have been doing testing, we've tested hundreds and hundreds of questions, and it seems like people are pretty wrong about the world. And it's, I mean, <laughs> right. it's not, it's not that we are thinking that everyone needs to know everything by heart, because I don't think that, and I th- don't think that is realistic. Yeah. From that, we have distilled down what we think is the absolute core and the absolute basics that everyone should know, so that they can understand the world better uh, without learning everything by heart and putting the news into a context. So I think we have been working differently than others because we haven't been driven by a certain career goal. If we would have, we would never have worked with this because this is, <laughs> you know, on the surface, of yes, where is this going to yes, go? Yes, exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's based on, on on a passion of actually making this happen, and it wouldn't have been possible if not the big uh, organizations producing data mm-hmm. had been doing that so su- successfully, because right. the UN and the World Bank and all these other big big players have actually pretty decent data their problem is usually that they have a problem to figure out what data needs to be communicated and how because they are driven very often by a lot of different interests Mm. and they are having these yearly reports where they have some key messages they have to get out and the next year it will be another topic with other key messages and I think uh, most people will not have the time or the interest to read these reports, right. not even within most the people organizations. Aren't like, I'm going to go look up some data on this. No, Yay. and not you even know? within it's, the organizations themselves. Right. So I think we tackle it from another perspective, where we say we want to make information that everyone can understand, and we think it should. Uh, we should measure. Whether people do know the things on beforehand, and and I th- I think it's important that Gapminder. We are a small nonprofit, and we do not have any any political or religious goals with this. Mm. We are driven by the idea that. Probably it's a better thing if people have some basic knowledge about the world before making decisions or before creating their ideology. It's yeah. probably a good thing, right? Yes, <laughs> so, so So that's enough for us. We are not aiming for making highly specialized, super advanced data information understandable. We, we just want to make the core somewhat easier to understand because I think that will make a big difference.
0: Yeah, and, absolutely. Also giving people, like you do in the book, ideas on how, how to think about it, it's not just the data, but then how yes. to actually handle the daily onslaught yes. of uh, media, for example. Yes.
1: And and I think that is important for the, uh, about the book, that the book is more of a handbook, and we have reduced all academic lingo, and we have sort of... Uh, phrase. Not not only have we created our own frameworks that we think are the ones you should actually use, because we think they are the most meaningful and most easy to understand. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we have also uh, gone into the cognitive science. Right. Yeah. But we haven't really talked. We, we we don't mention a cognitive bias anywhere in yeah. the book. We skip that because we we think that most people are not interested in cognitive biases per se. And they don't need to learn them. And there are so many. So instead, we have created these dramatic instincts that we think are, they are like some kind of a combination of different <laughs> biases. Right. But we try to, to get it into something that is consumable and understandable and meaningful yeah. for someone who is neither a global health expert or a cognitive scientist. Yeah.
0: Which is what makes it so practical yes. for somebody like me. Um, and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're We're running out of time here because you have to get to the to the airport and find your wallet which you're going to yeah uh, just <laughs> talk about dollar street because this is a component of your website and yeah. I want people to go check this mm-hmm. out so they can see what this is all about yeah. and we were I was showing my wife it last night mm-hmm. and yeah, pretty powerful stuff. You want to just share what that is and we'll include a link here in the show.
1: Uh, Dollar Street is another, it, it's, it's, it's a website where you can go and visit homes from all over the world and see everyday life. So it's based of the uh, on the idea. It's like a mental model almost. Yeah. So imagine that all people of the world were living on a street where you have the poorest people to the left and the richest to the right and everyone else lives somewhere in between, that would mean that you would live on the street uh, in a block where your neighbors wouldn't be people from your own country necessarily, but people on the same income level. So then we go in and see what everyday functions look like across different cultures, countries and so forth, to see both Similarities... People have on the same income level because there are very many similarities right. with people in other places on your income level. You will see, and seeing differences within countries. So that of course, just being in uh, in U.S. for instance doesn't mean that your life will be exactly like everyone else in the U.S. Because it will depend on where you are on the income scale in the U.S. Sure. So it's to understand your own position in the world is pretty meaningful to see. Uh, where other how others are living. Yeah. So what we do is that we, so far we have been to more than 300 homes in more than 50 countries. And uh, we, we systematically look at the same functions in each and every home. And we look at uh, toilets, beds, stoves, toothbrushes, and a lot of different things. Basically, all those functions that everyone are using everywhere i mean everyone brushes their teeth and go to the toilet and cook in some right. way or another and then we make a visual comparison for that so what we have done so far is that we have sent out uh, professional photographers uh to 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 do home documentations but now we're starting to add volunteer homes so we would like uh, our dream scenario is to get at least 10 homes per country hmm. on different income levels so you could see the differences within each country right. and you could also see where 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 these homes are comparable to other homes on the same income
0: level globally. Is there anything you want to share to, if somebody's listening to this and they can help out or be a part of it? How does yes. that work?
1: Uh, so we would truly love to get more homes on Dollar Street. Okay. So if you feel that you are, uh, basically you can do it at home or at a friend's place or you can do it while traveling. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many different options, but what you need is basically a camera or a smartphone would actually do pretty often as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we do have a list of things you need to capture in each home. So go to either the dollar street, dollarstreet.org website. And in the upper right corner, there is a menu, yeah. open that one. And under the about, you will find the resources you need a folder where you can actually download and start start documenting actually. Okay. Or you can send me an email if you want it to info at gapminder.org. If you want to talk further about what this is and what you can do. Okay. We also need help with translating and a lot of different stuff. So... Being a small non-profit, we're, we're hoping that we can we can get more people involved and volunteer. And we think that when we get a better coverage, it will be a very meaningful tool for people, especially in, in classrooms all over the world, mm-hmm. so that we can actually start learning not only where people live on the world map, but also what the, world, what, what the everyday life is like. Yeah. Because what we see in the news, even if it's true, we will only see the exception. We never see the everyday realities.
0: Yeah, and this is a great way to contribute to some very important work. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of times people think, well, how can I help? And mm-hmm. I, I don't have money to give or whatever. This yeah. is a way that that you can uh, give and be a part of this. So I appreciate you sharing yes. that. We'll be back right after this. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This sign up over there at zero to travel dot com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show.
1: I think I need to say as well. one of the reasons I started Dollar Street was because I have, i mean, To understand the world and to understand that most people out there are nice people (laughs) and that it's not dangerous to travel most of the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think actually the world would be a better place and people would be more positive if they were traveling Mm -hmm. and meeting all these nice people everywhere that would actually help. Yeah. But I don't think that... It's the
0: idea behind this show. Yes, but I, but, I, <laughs> but I don't
1: think it's realistic that everyone will do. Sure. And I think there is a risk, even when traveling, that many people stay at their fancy hotels at the same income level they come from, which means they will, will seldom meet everyday life, even if they go to the countries or live close by normal people. Yeah, So... I think that is a problem when people are traveling and they take photos from their travels. They come home and present to their friends and family what life is like in these places. But most often, we don't see the everyday life. because We might see a little bit here and there, but we see too little of it. Right. So Dollar Street is a way of actually giving everyone an opportunity of, of actually visiting real families and see what life is like. Uh, when it, I mean, of course, it's not totally covering, but at least getting a glimpse of uh, the circumstances in which people are living.
0: Yeah. And if you need a shot of gratitude or, mm-hmm. you know, your kids are being ungrateful for something, yeah. you can go visit Dollar Street <laughs> and show them some of the toys. You know, yeah. these kids that we were looking at a family in India yeah. last night. And you, like you said, you take the everyday, mm. you know, items and under toys, it was a it was a, it looked like an old head and shoulders a shampoo bottle yeah. with the label r- rubbed off mm. that was the a picture of their toy yeah and for this family that was living in a straw hut wow i mean yeah. very impactful and yeah i was gonna ask you about travel i'm glad you brought it up because dollar street gives you the the chance to to see those images but then there's also something about seeing that mm. in person um, yes definitely Yeah, how is that been for you have, have you traveled to some of these places and yes yeah. uh
1: to be really honest the first idea of dollar street came a uh, pretty long time ago uh i was studying to become a photographer myself Oh, okay and we had been work started working uh doing data visualizations for for the gap minder, mm-hmm. or we were not even founded that then back then so we didn't even know that this was going to be our work life but right. we had started doing the the graphs and so forth and then i started thinking that because i grew up in a family that did not travel because we didn't have that money so i remember my classmates traveling and i did not and i was frustrated because i was always interested in society and when they come home came home from their travels i had the feeling that what they are talking about might not be you know, typical representative. and I, I, I was at that early age, yes, you started I was, questioning. Uh, yes, I was, fr- I, I, yeah, I, I tried to grab for something, I guess, because yeah. I was probably just jealous, you know. But then studying photography and starting doing the graphs, I, I started realizing that there were so many things in the data we were going through that I had a hard time understanding. When it said, for instance, like, in the, In the poorest quintile, basically the 20% poorest in this country, only this many people have an improved pit latrine. But what is an improved pit latrine? And I started Googling. And when I did that, I get this, either I get nothing or I get these extremely technical descriptions about different kinds of ventilations, which I don't need. So I started thinking, what if we could just take photos to make it easier to understand Somewhat, what it can look like, you right, know, roughly, right, right. because I don't need the technical description. I just need to get an idea roughly what it's like. So I wanted to integrate the photos pretty e- early on in the project. And in the, w- when I started uh, defining, uh, doing home documentations, b- because I started doing that pretty early. I truly thought that I would be the one traveling the and world doing and doing all of them. Right. And that was my... It was your big my, photo. My, yes, my photo, yeah, my project. dream goal. Yeah, right. So I, I thought this is going to be what I'm doing. Unfortunately, uh, our charts became so popular. <laughs> so we'd, we, we basically focused so much on that. And that was pretty exciting. Yeah. But it took away the time from continuing with the photo project. So without... It was not a, a, a thought to stop doing the photos. It's just slipped, you know, yeah. because we were doing
0: other stuff. But you're able to crowdsource them. Yes, yeah. uh,
1: but then we uh, we got uh, three kids. We we were at Google. We were doing bubbles all the time, and I started to get the frustration, realizing that unless I basically stop doing the charting, the the visualizations, this photo project will never happen. Oh yeah. So. I basically did that and, oh. and applied for some from, from a starting grant so we could actually go out and, and develop the the baseline we have today. Okay. And yeah. we, we we actually opened it to the public long before I imagine it's ready. So I mean right. we, we we actually share with the world a basic version, but we still intend to do add a lot of more stuff to yeah. it. And we're dreaming about having all these homes. And what we're also doing we not only want to have homes, we want to have separate streets for health clinics and for classrooms. And we already started collecting both classrooms and health clinics. And we would like soccer fields and we would like to have all these different kinds of streets. Because it's more a mental model how we sort from from poor to rich and without really caring about the country per se, but looking at the difference over the income scale. And I think um, that is something we want to continue. So we're going to do this. I, I cannot imagine that we will stop. We will right. just have to figure out how to fund it because it's not totally free to <laughs> right. to to develop because we need software developers and we need to find stuff and yeah. so forth but but if we can get help from from volunteers to actually fill it with content, I think it can be pretty meaningful pretty fast
0: absolutely and mm. you heard how you can help and no, I appreciate you sharing all that there's there, the images are so powerful and it's just another example of taking what might be a worldview and just hey it's like you can't deny yeah. an image I mean you can see it all right there it's it's definitely something you should check out if you haven't seen it and again we'll link to that i, I just have a couple of quick things. How was it to work with uh with your family so you have your <laughs> husband and your late father in law and I'm so yeah. sorry for your loss he seemed like uh, such a great character <laughs> like, it's just so fun to hang out with and uh, funny guy and yeah yeah, how how was it to collaborate Um, with your family like that i
1: think i think the important thing is that it was never intended when i was uh, young i was foreseeing that i would be very independent and i would be an artist and i would never marry never get kids that was my my vision for life so I would be so independent. And then accidentally, I met with my husband nowadays, Ola, when I was 16. Yeah. So that screwed oh, wow. up basically. Okay. Wow. But both of us wanted to become artists and we were totally into that. Then, actually at family dinners, Hans uh, Ola's father, he was very often sharing what he was working on and he was trying to do visualizations to make it easier for his students to get a, a an overall picture about the world. And they were somewhat interesting. So we started helping him out a little bit in the beginning, trying to make them more beautiful. But then without even, it was not really a plan, but we we started making the animated versions. We started adding the photos. We started developing software tools that we accidentally invented new ways of visualizing. Mm. And most likely that was because we had no idea how to develop software tools. So we we basically did what we thought were right. And that is what we've done all the time. We have skipped very much the hierarchies, and that's probably because we're family. Yeah. So we haven't had hierarchies or prestige. And it has been, uh, it has been very often we have had a very fun work environment (laughs) Sometimes it has been pretty hard because it's not very very fun to be in a work related argument right with your family because right. then then you have no nowhere to escape, right? Right. There's a lot of things. Yes, to exactly. That. Yeah. And now now we we have been <laughs> when we have the three kids as well and have been working very often from home. It's very hard to define what is spare time and what is work. We basically yeah, always in a sort of work mode in a way.
0: Right, that's hard. Um, that can be hard too. Yes, yeah.
1: but but I think I think the the reason we could work together is probably because we we never wanted to make a career within a silo. We just started doing this because Hans uh, inspired us because we saw he was trying to solve a, a problem, and we started to help him solve that problem, and then the problem grew. And we still we're trying to solve the same problem, basically having uh, people getting a, a fact based worldview and making sure that we, we we provide a worldview that everyone can understand. And it's such a big problem, so I don't think we will never ever get out of it. So it's, um, I mean, it's driven by passion, yeah. but as all all work situations on a daily basis, is a lot of. Struggles, yeah, <laughs> and a lot of dead ends, right? Yeah, and uh, a lot of struggle to get funding to cover for for the cost because we it's important for us to be independent and the nonprofit because that's when we feel we we can uh, be powerful and actually give something. What, what carries in- you through
0: on those down times? You're going to say, like, you know, cold beer or something.
1: (laughs) uh, No, I don't think so. Maybe, I I think usually nowadays it's doing stuff with the kids. Yeah. Uh, And it's usually to do, like, basic stuff, like, you know, playing a computer game with them or... Yeah, spending time with your family. Yeah, I think that is. Or also spending time with friends or... you know, I would imagine
0: the work itself is just, you know, it's... Yeah. You feel it's important, you believe in it, and that's...
1: So I would say like this we will probably not be able to drop it because it's too interesting and too important and too fun. Yeah. Um but it still works. What a beautiful right? place to be though. <laughs> yes right? it is. In it your is. life it's uh, It is. It's yeah it's it's very fun actually. Yeah. Uh slow, cumbersome, yeah. stressful, hard, uh but very very fun. <laughs> that's all <creative laughs> At the same time. projects
0: and yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Well thank you so much for everything you're doing and thank you for your time today and i really hope you find your wallet at the airport
1: yeah i Um, hope so too i i I don't do not have big hopes but (laughs) i i will at least go there and
0: give it a shot you're putting a lot of good into the world so sometimes you know hopefully that that so if you find my wallet yes please (laughs) return it on i'm gonna ask for a high five too because i usually do that when i'm in person uh yeah thank you so much thank you hope to see you again soon wonderful (laughs) There you have it. Thank you so much to Anna for taking the time to talk with me and her work, all the work she's doing to really help people better understand how the world is. It's just such a unique nonprofit they're running and all of the projects around it. It was truly an honor to meet her. And I hope we can cross paths. Again, I hope you enjoy listening in on our conversation as well. I'm going to have to leave you with a quote from the book of course which you should get factfulness i'm gonna leave you with this quote from factfulness this kind of says it all it just says step by step year by year the world is improving not on every single measure every single year but as a rule though the world faces huge challenges we have made tremendous progress this is the fact-based worldview get the facts (laughs) get the facts the world is going in the right direction. We're all doing great. Things are improving. Don't be bummed out. Get fired up for this new year. Thank you for being a part of this community. Check in sometime. If you haven't taken time to do that, Jason at Zero to travel.com is my email. I'd love to hear from you. Oh, yeah. I can't forget the shout-out. What am I doing? I can't leave you with a quote without giving a shout-out. Oh, my gosh. That would have been a travesty. My man, Matt. He said, Jason, I sent you an email, oh, probably a year ago, now thanking you for all the travel inspiration that I was hoping to quit my job and travel for six months or so. Well, July 3rd, I took off and ended my journey December 9th. I hit up 17 countries and saw so many things I dreamed of. I truly want to express my appreciation for your podcast as it really helped with my knowledge and confidence. And he just goes on to say more nice things and also attached a photo of himself grabbing some amazing food In Vietnam. I just love getting these emails. Uh, Thank you, Matt, because getting these types of emails is the thing that keeps me going. And knowing that the podcast helped in some way, helped you travel, that's my whole mission, to help people travel the world on their terms, because I truly believe travel makes the world a better place. And I'm so glad that you took the time to write, to send me a picture. If you haven't written, get in touch. Let me know how the show's helped. Let me know Uh, If you have any tips or advice you want to share with other people, whatever, this is a community-powered show. This is your show, and I'm honored to host it and facilitate these conversations so we can all share and help each other out. So thank you so very much for listening today. Smile. Have a wonderful day, and I will see you next time. Cheers.